fans. They arrive, they watch, they cheer, they leave, and they wait till next week. Followers, they practice every day. They learn, they take the hits, they sacrifice. This world is full of fans. Will you be more? Do you have what it takes to follow, to step onto the field? Let's do this. Ah, fall, my favorite time of year. Pumpkin cannons, the leaves are changing, apple cider, and the smell of football is in the air. Anyone who knows me knows that I am an avid football enthusiast and an expert of all things football. In fact, nothing really gets me going more than watching the goalie kick a home run from the three-point line at the bottom of the ninth inning. It is just awesome. Now, for those who understood the irony of that statement, enjoy your football games this afternoon. If that sounded just about right to you, I look forward to running into you at the coffee shop or at Target later on today. It's no secret that I am much more of a fan of football than I am a follower of football. I enjoy watching it. I understand the rules of the game. I even played it when I was younger. But it will be a long time and a far cry before you see me without my shirt on and my face painted. <laughs> and for those of you now who have that image etched into your brain, you're welcome. It's my gift to you. We will pass out brain soap later. I do enjoy going to football games, though, because at football games, there's all sorts of people there at varying levels of commitment. People like this guy, or people like this guy, who I would not want to run into in the back of a dark alley. But just like there's all sorts of people at varying levels of commitment at games, the same is true here at the church as well, too. When we all gather together, we all come to this at different places in our spiritual journey. And I'm going to show you a diagram today that I've used before, but I believe this is going to be helpful in understanding what the challenge is before us today that God is calling us to. And so as we dive in, I recognize that there is a group of people out there who are just exploring you're just at the beginning of the journey, or maybe you're really not even on the journey at all. Right now, maybe you just have some questions, or there's a little curiosity in your life, but you're just exploring. You're just window shopping. It's a little bit like being at the store when the clerk comes up and says, hey, can I show you something or help you with something? What's our response when they say that? Oh, no, I'm just looking. I'm, I'm just looking. And maybe that's where you're at. You know, I'm just looking. And if you are, hey, great. We're glad you're here. I want this to be a place that if you have questions, ask. We want to answer them. For others, though, maybe it's a little deeper than that. Maybe you're at a defining moment in your life or something has happened in your life that is causing you to ask deeper questions. Maybe you have lost somebody close to you. Maybe you're struggling with a relationship or, or maybe you've received a medical diagnosis or something in the last year that has caused you to ask deeper questions that you've not had to really ask before. Or maybe you're asking that, that big question that many people are asking, what happens when I die? 
Is this all one big cosmic accident, as many people would tell me? Or is there really a plan? Is there really a purpose in my life? And we're just asking questions. Hey, why am I here? Why do we exist? Do I have a purpose? What is the meaning to all this? Great questions. We would love to engage you in those questions and help answer them if we could. For others, though, you've already taken a step of faith. You have stepped forward. Maybe you've prayed to receive Christ. You've admitted that you're a sinner. You want the assurance of knowing that when I die, there is the promise of eternity with Jesus Christ. And so you've taken those first steps of faith. And what's important for you right now is that we help provide clear next steps in your spiritual journey so that you can grow. It's also important that a group of people come alongside you at this time to help teach you, to help hold you accountable, to lift you up when you're down, and just show you the way along that journey. It's a journey we walk together, we walk alongside each other, and I invite you to do that. If you're at that place in your journey, welcome as well. We want to be the church, a group of people, God's people, who walk alongside you to help you find those new answers to becoming more and more like Jesus Christ in your life. But for many Christians, there is a tendency, unfortunately, to stop right here in their journey. They've prayed to receive Christ. They've asked for forgiveness of their sins, and they have this assurance of where they're going to go when they die, and they kind of just stop here as if the journey is finished. But this is not the end of the journey. It is really just the start of a great new journey towards becoming like Jesus Christ. And maybe you've joined a group and, and, and you're just thinking, you know what? I'm being fed. I like what's going on. I think I'm in a good place. But there's a caution I want to give you about stopping right here. Because once you've made a decision for Jesus, that is not the end of the road, and we have not arrived. What happens is if we stop here, over time in our spiritual journey, it can feel like we have hit a plateau, or it's just sort of leveled out. Or even worse, there may be times where you feel like, I'm just kind of going backwards. Have you ever felt that way in your spiritual journey? I was going up, but now I just kind of feel like things are blah, and I'm not really going anywhere. Maybe you feel like you're walking through a wilderness, or you're walking through a desert. Maybe that's the season you're in, and you're thinking back, and you're going, you know what? There was this time when I can remember being really hungry and really thirsty for the Lord, but I'm just not feeling that way anymore. That's the caution that happens if we stop here in our journey. A study done a little over 10 years ago by a church discovered that about 70 to 80% of all Christians in America feel like they're at this point in their Christian journey. I've made a decision. I've asked forgiveness. I have assurance of where I'm going where I die. What's next? And is this just about sitting around and waiting till we die and go to heaven? Or is there more? And the problem is, is if we get stuck here, the church ends up being a place we go to and something we do. 
we get into a trap of seeing that the church is just a purveyor of goods and services that exist for my needs, wants, and desires. And then we start judging and and viewing things like, hey, you know, is the music really what I like? And is the teaching what I think it should be? And and what I think teaching should look like? And and are the groups where I want to meet? I mean, do I even like the people there? And, And we start to see the church as if it is giving out goods and services for us. And what happens is we end up slipping into a consumer mentality. Now, what is a consumer well, this is your first fill-in if you're following, a line, following along inside your worship guide. A consumer is a person who purchases goods and services for personal use. They purchase them for personal use. And there's a danger in getting stuck here and thinking this is why church exists, solely to meet my needs, wants, and desires. Because what happens is we start beginning to get attitudes that say, hey, you know what? When I put money in the offering bucket, I'm expecting the goods and services back that I deserve. And what happens is if we get stuck here, over time we begin to treat the church a little bit like it's a restaurant. If I don't get the food and the service I want, I'll just take my business somewhere else. After all, there's other choices, aren't there? But the church is not a restaurant, and we are not a purveyor of goods and services. And Jesus isn't just our Savior. God is calling us to much more. And it's at this point that many people begin to realize that there's another step they need to take in their journey. Yes, Jesus is my Savior. Yes, He died on a cross for me so that I can be forgiven and have the promise of eternal life. But then we begin to realize that three days later, he rose from the grave. And what that means is Jesus Christ is also my Lord, which means he is the king, which means he is calling the shots in my life. Jesus Christ is not just my savior. Jesus Christ is also my king. And when we realize he's our king, then we realize that everything we have is his and we are called to surrender our will and our way to him. Everything. Now, for a few of us, this begins early on in our Christian journey, but that's not been my experience as I've journeyed along other people in the church. For most people, this is something that occurs many different times and throughout the entire journey of this life, this act of surrendering our will and our way to our Savior and our King, because there is a tendency inside each of us to want to hold on to things, to believe that they are ours, and to hang on to them. We have a natural-born desire to want to control things and control people. But don't we realize over time that control is just an illusion? How many of you have figured that out or are figuring that out? We're not really in control of anything, are we? And this was, after all, the sin of the Garden of Eden. Maybe you're familiar with the story of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. They were instructed that they could eat of every fruit in the garden except one, and that was the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But they chose to eat from that fruit anyways. And in doing so, when they ate from that fruit, essentially what they were saying is, I am the master of my own domain. I am the captain of my ship. My will be done. I'm in control of this situation. 
which makes it all the more remarkable when thousands of years later we see Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night when he was to be arrested, tried, and eventually crucified. We see him praying this prayer in Luke chapter 22, verse 42. He says, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but your will be done. Not my will, but your will be done. And in that one prayer, he was erasing and turning upside down what Adam and Eve had essentially determined in their heart when they said, my will. He was saying, no, we were created to live as people that say, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And what we must realize, this is the prayer of a surrendered person. This prayer right here, thy will be done, is the prayer of a surrendered person. And as a surrendered person, we must realize that God created everything. And because God created everything, everything is His. It's not ours. We've just been given a responsibility for And this goes in line with what we see in the story of the Garden of Eden as well, too, because oftentimes people ask, why are we here? Why do we exist? Do we have a purpose? And that's told to us very early on in the Garden of Eden. When we look in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, it says this, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden. Why? To work it and to care for it. To work it and to care for it. What's our purpose? Well, we exist to care for this creation that God made. And my dear friends, just because we live in a fallen world does not mean we have been absolved of our responsibility to care for the creation that God created. It is one of our primary roles to care for this world and this creation that God created. That's why we were put here. But it is not just to enough to care for it and to maintain it, we also have a responsibility to work it. Working has behind it the idea that we will produce something more in line with we will multiply it, which goes back to Genesis chapter 1, where we were instructed to be fruitful and to multiply. We have a responsibility to not only care for this earth and maintain it, but we also have a responsible to multiply it and to work it. It is both And there is a word in the English language that describes what it is that when we are put in responsibility for and we are charged with managing somebody else's stuff. And that word is stewardship. A steward is a person that has the responsibility to manage somebody else's stuff. Not our stuff, somebody else's stuff. And to fully surrender our will and our way to the Creator is to understand that we have been called to be good stewards with everything we have been given. Everything we have belongs to our Creator. Whether that is your car, whether that is your house, whether it's your job, whether it's your family, whether it's your body, whether or not it's your breath you take. As stewards, we realize that everything we have has been given us on loan from the Creator, that we have been given a stewardship role to manage what is God's, and one day we will give an account for what we did with it. Now, something happens when we begin to go on this journey from believing to surrendering. 
when we begin to understand that we're not meant to stop there. And one of the first things we happen, we've talked about already, we go from believing and understanding that Jesus isn't just our Savior, He is most certainly that, but that He is also our Lord. Jesus is our King, and He is calling the shots in our life. And we understand that Jesus is our Savior and that He is our Lord. We go from a feed-me mentality, which means this exists to feed my wants, desires, and needs, to having a feed-others mentality, which means I exist for God and I exist for others as my primary role. And when we do that, we go from being a consumer, a person who purchases goods and services for our own desires, to being a steward, a person who understands that everything we have is on loan to us, and we have a responsibility to manage it for which one day we will give an account. And when we do that, we move from being a fan, simply a spectator in a seat, to being a follower, a person becoming like Jesus, doing the things Jesus does, saying the things Jesus says, in hopes of becoming more and more like Jesus in all that we do. And when that happens, we will begin to see the world not as one, two, three, but as three, two, one. Now, if you're new to the fan to follower journey with us this week, I want to encourage you to go to heritageqc.com sometime this week or download our free Heritage app and review some of the sermons in this series where Pastor Sean talks at length about what it means to go from one, two, three to three, two, one thinking in our life. It's about understanding how we put God's kingdom and the needs of others above our needs in all things. I encourage you to do that if you're new and maybe you just need to go back and review it and I encourage you to do so as well. Now, there's a story, a parable Jesus told in the New Testament where he illustrates to us what stewardship is. I've put the story in its entirety inside your worship guide, but for the sake of time today, I'm just going to summarize the story to you, but I invite you sometime in the next week to go back, read the entire story, and spend some time in prayer and devotion as you ask God, how does this apply to my life? But in this story Jesus told, he talks about a rich master, a wealthy master who is going on a long journey. Before he goes on the long journey, he invites three of his servants to him. To the first servant, he gives five bags of gold. To the second servant, he gives two bags of gold. And to the third servant, he gives one bag of gold. Now, the ancient Greek word for bags of gold here was talenton, which is where we get the word talent. Talent is an ancient measurement of silver or gold. For gold, it was the equivalent of about 91 kilograms or 200 pounds in modern weights. Now, to give you an idea of how much money that is, if you're curious, 200 pounds of gold in today's economy is worth about $3.3 million dollars. So we're not talking about chump change here. He is handing them a significant amount of money, and that's $3.3 million per bag. The first servant he gave five bags to. Now, to bring this into the modern era too and kind of try to get a grasp of what Jesus is teaching us here, I kind of want to explain it this way. How many of you out there 
have some kind of retirement account, 401k, or investment account that you're planning to use someday when you retire. How many of you out there have one of those? Yeah, a bunch of you do. And if you don't, I encourage you to get going on that as soon as possible. I think if you're like me, there's some kind of expectation that when you put money into that retirement account, it's going to accrue money and gain money over time, that it's not just going to stay the same amount. Otherwise, we could just dig a hole and put our money in it, right? And save our poor investor the trouble of having to buy a new Mercedes or new golf clubs this year, right? We have an expectation that that money we put in there is going to make a profit, that it's going to gain money. Let's say you, over the course of 20 to 30 years, put a million dollars into this investment account. After 30 years, you go back to your investor and you say, hey, I think I'm ready to retire and cash this in and, and move on with the next stage in my life. How much money is that in that account? And that investor looks at you and goes, there's a million dollars in the account. You put a million dollars in, there's a million dollars there. How happy would you be at that moment with your investor? I don't know about you, I'd be pretty chapped because I had an expectation that that investor was going to take the money and do something with it that I could not do on my own, right? Hold on to that as we continue the story with Jesus then. As expected, the wealthy master comes back one day eventually and he finds his three servants. The first servant who he gave five bags of gold to, comes and he drops down his five bags of gold and he says, look, master, I have five more as well. And then the servant who had two bags of gold brings him two bags of gold and he goes, look, master, I have two more additional bags as well. And the wealthy master looks at his two servants and he says, well done, my good and faithful servant. You have done well. But to the servant that he had given one bag to, that servant had decided to bury his bag of gold in the ground. And so when his master came back, he unburied the bag, brought it to his master and said, here, master, just as you gave it to me, one bag of gold. And that's where we're going to pick up the story in Matthew chapter 25, starting in verse 26, as we see the reaction of his master. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. You should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have at least received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. For whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This story scares the daylights out of me. It does when I read it. It's a scary story. The primary idea behind the story is stewardship. These servants have been given something that is not theirs. They have been entrusted with their master's money, and there is an expectation that not only are they, A, going to take care of it, 
but B, they are going to multiply it. It is not going to be enough to just take care of it. There is an expectation they are going to do something with these bags of gold and increase or multiply it. And we need to get our arms around this understanding if we're to understand what it means to be a fully surrendered follower of Jesus Christ because it's about stewardship. And so there's some things about stewardship that I want us to know and I want us to understand before we move forward. And the first one is this, God owns everything. God owns everything. He created it, it's His and you cannot be a steward of something you own. If you own it, you're not a steward. Stewardship and ownership are mutually exclusive of each other. We have to understand that everything we have is on loan to us. We have a responsibility for it, for it's one day we will give an account. The second thing I know about stewardship is this. Stewardship is responsibility, as we have talked about. But here's what I know about responsibility. Responsibility is always a part of leadership. Always a part of leadership. As stewards, we are called to a leadership role. As Christians, we are called to a leadership role. We are called to be leaders in our homes. We are called to be leaders in our community. We are called to be leaders in our workforce. We are to understand that we have been given resources to equip and resource other people to be the people that God created them to be. We have been given resources to accomplish the mission of God. And I love this quote from Horst Schultze at the Global Leadership Summit this past August, if you happen to catch him. It was a great quote. He said, as leaders, we have forfeited the right to make excuses. As leaders, we have forfeited the right to make excuses. And I would remind us of that story with the lazy servant who had one bag of gold that just buried it. He was not afforded the opportunity to make excuses either. And neither will, be, will we. As leaders, we have a responsibility to do something with what we have been given. The third thing I know is this. Where Jesus is not Lord, we are not stewards. If Jesus is only your Savior, but he is not your King, we are not stewards. Because we're still wrestling with the question, whose stuff is it? We're still negotiating the terms of our surrender with the king. But we're going to have to resolve this question in our heart today. And listen, if you hear nothing today, it's this question I want you to try to resolve in your heart, not just today, but throughout the week. You've got to ask yourself and you've got to wrestle with this. Who owns your stuff? And is it even your stuff to begin with? Is it you or is it Jesus? Who owns the stuff you have received? Because the last thing I understand is this, stewardship only comes through true heart change. You cannot fake it. You cannot earn it. You can't pretend. It's only when our hearts have been truly changed that our hearts begin to beat as God's heart beats. 
And when our hearts beat as God's heart beats, we begin to see the world as God sees it. And when we see the world as God sees it, we understand the enormity of what stands before us and what needs to be accomplished and how this whole world needs to know this Jesus Christ as their Savior and their King. But I understand that surrender begins and ends around this one little issue for most of us, and that's stewardship. We have to resolve the question, whose stuff is it? Is it God's or is it mine? And my friends, it's hard to dodge the obvious point of this story that Jesus is telling Like most of Jesus' stories, they're multifaceted and full of layers of different meanings and different ideas, and same is true in this story too. It's very easy to take this story and say that we are called to be stewards of our time, and we're called to be stewards of our relationships, and we're called to be stewards of all sorts of different things like our spiritual gifts and our talents out there, and that's absolutely true, and that would be an accurate reading of this story and understanding of this story. It's absolutely true. But we cannot and will not miss the most obvious point in this story too. Don't miss it. This is a story about money and what Jesus thinks about what you do with your money. We can't miss that point. Because in this story, what did the rich master give them? He gave them money. And if you wish to truly experience surrender and freedom, what I have found so many times as I've talked with people and counseled them and just walked alongside them in journey, this whole idea of surrender and stewardship is often centered around money. Money seems to be the last thing we want to hand over. There's just this idea built in. I earned it. I worked. It is by the sweat of my brow that I have this money. Therefore, it is mine. And we just hang on to it with all of our might. But if you truly wish to experience surrender and the freedom that comes from being a fully surrendered follower of Jesus Christ you're going to have to resolve this question, whose money is it? Which gets us to our so what moment. So what, Jason? Why, why does any of this matter? Why, why do you bring it up? Well, the reason why it's important is this. So far, we've talked about three pathways that we tend to go through in our spiritual journey, but there's a fourth we've not talked about yet. As we go back to that early diagram, there's a a fourth stage that we are being called to in our spiritual journey, and that stage is we're being called to multiply. We're called to multiply. Here at Heritage Church, we say we want to multiply disciples, leaders, and churches, and you're called the same. We're called to multiply. But there's something about multiplying we need to understand and wrap our arms around if we're to understand why it is where it is on this spiritual journey. And this is a truth that is true not only in business, it's true in our family life, but it's also true in the church as well too. And it's important you understand this. The maxim is this, you multiply who or what you are. 
You will multiply who or what you are. If you are a a business that is financially unhealthy or you have a culture of unhealthiness throughout the entire organization and you try to go and multiply your organization, you will only multiply that unhealthiness someplace else. As a family, if you have unhealthiness in your family or you have dysfunction built into your family, you will only multiply that dysfunction into your children and into your grandchildren and throughout your family. That's why we have that saying, the apple doesn't often fall far from the tree. And as a church, this is true too. If we are not fully surrendered followers of Jesus Christ who understand that they are stewards with everything they are given, we will not multiply fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. And if we don't multiply fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ, we will not live the God-sized dreams that God is calling us to. We will not be the people that God is calling us to be. We will not take the hill. We have to be fully surrendered followers of Jesus Christ if we are to multiply fully surrendered followers of Jesus Christ. That's how important this is, and that's why you have to ask yourself these important questions. Whose stuff is it? And I have found this is the real test. It's the dividing line between most Christians or not. It's the difference oftentimes between believing and surrendering. It's often this issue of money. There is still that strong desire into us to hold and to control it. When the Bible clearly says to us in Psalm 24, 1, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, everything, including your money. We are but stewards who are managing our master's resources for which one day we will give an account. And I have to ask you this. I don't know if you figured it out in the story or not, but that wealthy master who's returning is Jesus Christ someday. Written into the Bible and clear in our understanding of Christians is that Jesus Christ is coming back someday. And when he comes back, he's going to hold us accountable for the things that he gave us to use to advance the kingdom. And I have to ask you this, what is Jesus going to say to you when he sees you again? Is he going to say, well done, my good and faithful servant? Or you wicked, lazy servant. What are you doing with what God gave you? Are you using your money in such a way that it's advancing the kingdom cause? Or are you hiding it? Or worse yet, are you squandering it for your own selfish needs and desires? Listen, I get it from the silence in the room. A bunch of you are in a really uncomfortable place right now. You don't like this subject matter. Truth is, there's probably some of you out there that don't really like me very much right now. Maybe you're mad at me. Maybe you're angry. Let me ask you something. If I I may, I'm begging, I'm pleading with you. Please, just hear me out. The first point I'd want to make for you today is this. I've not asked you for one penny of money today. I've not asked you for a single dollar, and I'm not going to. All I'm asking of you today and in the coming week is to wrestle with this question. Whose money is it? That's all I'm asking of you in the coming week and today. Whose money 
is it? Because ultimately we have to ask, what is the money you have, the way you spend it, the way you save it, what you do with it, what does it say about who you are as a person? And even more so, what does it say about the master you serve? And I get it, you know, like the church is all about money. That's all they want. They want money. They're just trying to take my money. I get it. I've heard it before. But you have to ask, whose money is it? And maybe that's why you're uncomfortable. Maybe it's the question that makes you uncomfortable. And maybe I'm just the turkey who had to ask it. You know what I mean? We're going to have to ask ourselves, are you a consumer or are you a steward? Are you a fully surrendered follower of Jesus Christ? Are you still a fan who is negotiating the terms of their surrender with a king who is not interested in negotiating? A fan believes their money is theirs. A follower believes their money belongs to God. Which one, my dear friends, are you? Whose money is it? Let's pray. Dear God, this is a tough subject today. I realize for many of us we're wrestling through these questions. As you do, show us those dark reaches of our heart, those hidden places where maybe we're holding on to things that we shouldn't be holding on to, that we need to fully surrender to you as our Savior and our King. Humble us, Lord, to ask the tough questions, be willing to hear the tough answers from you so that we can be the people that you have called us to be and we can live out those God-sized dreams that you have in store, not only for us, but for Heritage Church as a whole, our community, and throughout the world. Lord, make us more and more like your son, Jesus Christ, in all that we do. And Lord, as we wrestle through this question this week, Help us. Whose money is it? Whose stuff is it? Mine or yours? We love you. Amen.